almost called you Desiree instead yes. of D because when you said D in front of me last time, I got totally confused. <laughs> it's okay. So, um, anything going on in the Catholic world these days? People sure are talking a lot about Pope Francis. Yeah. Um, do you like Pope Francis? I do. He's not my favorite, but I like him. Who's your favorite? I don't know if I have a favorite. I think the easy favorite is JP2. But yeah. I also like uh, a lot of what Pius the Sixth did. And is he the one that does the the funky peace sign or whatever? I don't know. <laughs> I just have this uh, metal rosary tin of him that's like a profile of his face. That's the only picture of him that I'm familiar with. Is he the one with the round glasses that looks stern like a professor? Maybe. I don't think that's the one I'm talking about, though, because there's, there's a couple of Piuses that are recent. Yeah, I, I looked it up, and there's a bunch of Pope Leo's, like 15 of them. Mm -hmm. A bunch of John Paul's. And in something summer. funny, you know, I used to work at EWTN. Mm -hmm. And the neat thing of experience was being behind the scenes with a lot of famous and influential, uh, you know, Catholics. Mm -hmm. uh, people that spent a lot of time in Rome. And um, I was reading a thing where Pope Francis is during that Pachamama thing. Mm -hmm. And he said this, he said that, and, and this is a loose, I'm paraphrasing, this is not verbatim, okay? Mm -hmm. And he said that people like to, uh, the, the phrase, it's a colloquial expression, I guess, from where he's from, is that they like to smile at him, and as soon as he turns his head, they throw a rock at him. Mm, yeah. He says, when people, these critics face to face with me, they're all smiles and warm. Oh, Holy, Holy Father, we pray for you. He says, as soon as they turn around, you know, he says, as soon as I look around, here comes a brick. And he was, he was noting that the very things that he's been quoted as a saying, he was quoted Pope John Paul. Yeah. You know, the, the last one, JP, yeah. what I call him. He said, I'll say exactly what he said and get trashed for it. Yep. Did you hear what Francis said? And he said, all I did was quote a saint and, and I got rocked for it. So what's your feelings on, on what's going on right now with Pope Francis? Man, there's so many different points to it that I think are going on. So I'm just kind of going to pick one and start. I think that people forget that there's sort of a, a spectrum of Catholicism where on the one hand you have like the super ultra mega rad trad people who are just kind of like off their rockers. And then you have over here, the super duper liberal, like Catholics for abortion people that are like off their rockers. And there's a whole bunch of Catholics in the middle. And I wonder if a lot of the Catholics who I would say are definitely on fire for the faith. Like they genuinely practice and profess it. They're not just people who like wake up every Sunday morning and go to church and they're like, I'm a Catholic, but they don't really observe anything. Um, I think a lot of those people tend to be more conservative in their faith profession. And I wonder if a lot of those people, if they would meet St. Francis of Assisi today, if they would even like him. Because a lot of them will say really good things about St. Francis of Assisi. 
But then we have a pope who's literally modeled his entire papacy after St. Francis of Assisi, and people hate him. And I don't think that Pope Francis is the greatest. I do think there are some things that he could be better about. But the feeling that I get from him is that he's very anti-gossip, anti-worldly ways, and he's not going to be like chasing the media down. He'd be like, no, 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 that's not what I said. You know, and I think that upsets some people. But at the same time, I can see the merit and the maturity in how you handle that. And I think that ideology coupled with the who St. Francis of Assisi actually was and not just like the favorite pieces of him that people like, he's really authentically St. Francis of Assisi in terms of like how he believes and the things that he prioritizes and his humility and things like that. Do so I said a lot. That's a good start. <laughs> do you think that part of the way Pope Francis I, I shouldn't say respond. I should say he don't respond mm-hmm. to criticism in the way that we're able to see. I mean, behind closed doors, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But have you ever seen that comedian, Cat Williams? Mm-hmm. Is, does he offend you? I don't really like him. <laughs> I don't really watch him, but I know who he is. Yeah, well, you know, he uh, he has a routine about Pope Francis. Oh. and He's not Catholic that I know of, but he's all. Uh, you know, he drops the F-bomb a lot. Mm-hmm. But he can get to where he's preached some of the best. Preach. He'll start preaching in the middle of a comedy show. And I, I have to uh, dab my eyes because he's spot on. But he was saying he was making fun of Pope Francis for making fun, the joke that yeah. uh, he'll walk up to the microphone and just say it and walk the blank off. <laughs> and that, yeah. that's perfect because he'll – and. and what a lot of people refuse to admit is a lot of what they hear him say is the tail end of answering some random off-the-cuff question. Yeah. It's never, it's rarely in some address, a homily or, you know, speaking on, you know, giving a statement. It's like he's in a room full, like Trump, you, you know, and I don't know, I swear I don't know where you stand on Trump, but. Trump can say one little thing and people will run with it just out of control. And, and I must say that happens to on, on both sides. Yeah. Um, do you think that part of his philosophy might be his culture? Or- I think it could be. I uh, When I was uh, working on my theology degree at Benedictine, I had a professor who was uh, partially well, – I guess his the largest part of his heritage was Argentinian and he swore up and down that people didn't like him because of his culture and because of the fact that he was an Argentinian and he thought that it was um, basically racism that was the reason why people didn't like him. But then I took that to my other, you know, Argentinian friend who's very traditional practicing Catholic. And I asked her, I said, is this the feeling that you get? Because this is the feeling that my theology professor gets. And she was like, absolutely not. And she was like, the thing that irritates me about him is that when he's speaking, when he says things, like even as Argentinians, he'll say something and you'll go, mm, you, you, I know what you mean, but you should have said this or you could have said that kind of thing. And so it's like leaving that room for error. And 
I think that's, I, that's what she says her problem is with him. And I suspect that that's what a lot of people's problems are with him. Like I've never once heard somebody complain that he's not European, you know? So I, I think that that comes whether, I don't know that that's Argentinian culture per se. I think that might just kind of be a personal part of him. Cause I mean, he's a Jesuit, so clearly he's very well educated and has that element to him. Then there's also some people are just, I'm going to say what I say and I'm going to use as few words as possible. And if you don't get it, like, oh, well, you know, think about it, figure it out. You're smart. You can do it. And I kind of suspect that he has a bit of that attitude. Like he's not going to over politicize what he says as much as he's going to say what the truth is. That was my cat. And those who get it, don't do it. Those who get it, get it. And those who don't, they'll figure it out, you know, and unless he absolutely has to come back and say something, I don't think he will, you know? Yeah. Um, I've told my people that know that he doesn't watch TV or do social media at all, that he's in this bubble mm-hmm. and that he eats in a normal employee cafeteria. He picks a different random person to eat breakfast with mm-hmm. and dead you so crowded like the president like it's 10 minute blocks throughout the day mm-hmm. and um like the pachamama controversy he was clueless it was a controversy for like a week yep. before mm-hmm. it got back to him because uh you know bill clinton carry a cell phone and no. he went by email and he was often the last to know what was going on and I look at Jesus when Jesus would answer certain questions, he'd answer with a one liner and that would be about it. Yeah. And he wouldn't get it. And he wouldn't sit there and be like, let me explain it to you again and again. Like like John chapter six, the chapter that the Protestants just do all kinds of yoga and gymnastics to get around what Jesus said. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody walked off. Jesus didn't say, "Ho, ho, 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 come back. Let me, let me clarify this and let me say it. He didn't. He said, y'all leaving too? Yeah, exactly. That's the way I feel about these people that say they're leaving the church over a document that's an answer to a question by two guys. Right. And not an ex-cathedra thing. It was a a pastoral answer Mm -hmm. to something not just same sex. It included a whole bunch of people that are forgotten. The married and divorced crowd, which Mm -hmm. I know about where you live. But where I live, everybody's divorced and remarried. Yeah, I've come from a lot of that in my family circle. Yeah. They can't do certain things in the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. And they're forgotten. And then the gay people, you know, can't get married, can't get their blessed. Well, neither can some people in certain types of irregular marriages. Mm-hmm. Why is that being left out? Everybody's focusing on the gay folks. Because that's the thing that gets attention. That's what? That's the thing that gets attention. People aren't as scandalized by divorce. Why uh, not? Why not? Mm-hmm. I think because the secular world just doesn't care. The secular world thinks you can get married and divorce and that's whatever. So you lose that crowd right away. And then for people who deal more with the inner workings and the canonical side of marriage and divorce, I think it's pretty... Honestly, I think they're both equally straightforward. They're just different. Like if you're married and you're divorced, you either weren't 
legitimately married to begin with, in which case you can get an annulment or have it dissolved depending on those circumstances. Um, or you knew what you were doing when you got into it and then you knew what you're doing, you got out of it and now you have to live with it. Like that's pretty straightforward and what living with it means can be elaborated on. But with the homosexual thing, because there's so much more of a worldly component that cares rather than the worldly component that's like, whatever it is, what it is. Um, I think it's much more of a hot topic, especially when you add in the like persecution mindset. I don't often hear people who are divorced, but not annulled complain about being persecuted in the same yeah. way. You know? Yeah. Hey, JR. Um, here's how I found out about the document. I got mm -hmm. a friend, Michael. He may be on here later. Mm -hmm. uh, he sent me a link to a document. And I didn't know, you know, what anything about it. Yeah. And so oh, my brother, Terry, who is a Baptist, well, he says he identifies as a Baptist. Yeah. He's not an anti-Catholic person, but he's not interested in becoming Catholic. Mm -hmm. And he sent me a text. It said, is this more fake news? And it had a thing, uh, Pope Francis allows blessing of same-sex marriage or union, whatever, however it was worded. And uh, I didn't answer right away because, you know, I got to find out what that document said. Now I know why he sent me that document. So I ran through the document and I got to the part. Uh, it was all about blessings and seeking forgiveness and Grace, why do we bless? Why do you want to bless? And this is what is what, blah, 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 blah. Then I got down, I think it's paragraph 31 or section 31, which is interesting because I do real estate. Yeah. Real estate contract section 31 supersedes everything above. Whatever yeah. you write in, in article 31 in, in real estate here in Alabama supersedes everything. Mm -hmm. Okay, so when I get an offer or make an offer, when I get an offer on a house, I'll scroll right down to section 31 right away to see what else they want. Yeah. Okay, so I read, I got 31. It wasn't, you know, so I went back and I looked at. Uh, it hadn't broken on Fox yet. Hadn't broken on CNN. Then over the course of the morning, my phone's blown up and the media's blown up. I don't like to these peckerhead journalists. Did they even read? Did they read it? Probably not. I imagine maybe one of them did. And then they took their story and ran with it however they wanted to. And then everybody else just sort of went off of that because... You keep getting, well, I shouldn't say keep, but from now and then you'll hear these stories of journalists getting confronted about their uh, not, how do I want to say this politely? Vetting? Integrity, their poor integrity. And they'll be like, well, that's just how it is now. And I used to want to be a journalist. I actually, when I first went to college, I was preparing to be a journalist, but I sort of saw the writing on the wall and I didn't really want to be a part of it anymore. Um, but that... You, there's, you're supposed to be like have classes on this, like ethics and integrity and stuff like that. And it's just not there anymore. And that's another sort of layer to the cake, I guess you will, if, if you'll say, with Francis. 
people say, well, you know, no other pope has had these problems and it's always in this particular slant and da 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 da. But I don't think any other pope had to deal with the media as it exists today. What in the world if if Jesus was on and he would say some of the things he said on and just tweeted it. Yeah. The firestorm. Yeah. The anger, the hatred, the deleting and blocking, the retweeting, it would be chaos. Yeah. I have come to bring peace, but division. Yeah. I retweeted that. Right. And he wouldn't clarify much. He'd give up a one-sentence clarification and and move on. But uh, I'm sure, you know, Pope John Paul called Pachamama the mother of the earth in two different sermons. Mm -hmm. And you can read it. Did he get pounced on? No. Yeah, no. No. Like another, excuse me, another side of the discussion as well is I think, um, I don't want to throw the conservative Catholics under the bus because I I would call myself a conservative Catholic. I'm just not super, super conservative. You know, I've heard how you talk about what your mass is like and people think it's a Latin mass. I go to that kind of a mass where it's Novus Ordo, but the majority of it is in Latin. And then the only parts that are in English are the parts like the readings and the homily and stuff like that. So. I definitely feel like I'm in that camp, but there are a lot of people who I feel like I'm rubbing elbows with um, who seem to think that the European maybe form of Catholicism is like the form of Catholicism, like that's the default, and then anything else is extra, but it's really not. You know, in the days of the early church, obviously it wasn't in America, and it wasn't um spreading like wildfire throughout Europe in the earliest, earliest days. It was like northern Africa and in all these areas where obviously the apostles were and lived and traveled and stuff like that. And you would go to even in the States, masses vary widely, but if you would go to a mass here versus a mass anywhere in Africa, you're going to get culture shock because of how different it is. But they're both completely licit, valid forms and expressions of the mass. It's just that in one culture, we do things this way. And in another culture, they do things that way. And the enculturation is a huge part of the Catholic faith. Like in Arizona, in Tucson, we have a mission called San Xavier del Bac. And that mission was founded by Father Eusebio Kino. And Father Eusebio Kino came here to engage with the Native Americans and basically presented them with the faith and was like, take it or leave it. And they were like, take it. So he said, great. And he started to educate them in the faith. And he would tell them things that they were doing that went against the faith. And they were like, so if you want to be Catholic, you have to stop doing these things. And it caused some stirring among them. But eventually they were like, it's probably good to let that go. Like, it's probably good to not be killing people in anger or to be, you know, having multiple spouses or whatever it was that, you know, the topic was at the time. And at the same time, there were a lot of things and phrases and feelings that they had that were deeply parts of their culture. And he, Father Eusebio Kino was thinking about it. And he's like, well, they feel things that feel good, generally speaking, that are genuinely good, feel that way because they're true. And you might not fully comprehend why something feels so good or fully comprehend like the, the complete truth of what is good here. But there's something good here. So let's think about this. And a lot of those ways and means and expressions in parts of the culture were just sort of like redefined you know they had a strong 
uh, relationship with the land and working the land is a good and noble thing. You're not going to worship the land. Obviously, you're not going to be praying to the whatever God to have your crops grow, but you can pray to God the Father that your crops grow. And you might have this maternal relationship with the earth. And, you know, who is the mother of the earth? Mary, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of their culture was still retained because that enculturation is important. It's not about completely forgetting everything that you ever had in all of the places that you come from. It's about looking at where you come from and saying, this is good, so it can stay. And this is bad, so it must go even if some of the good that's staying is something that was previously defined as something heretical or something inconsistent with the faith, you say, you know what, we don't, we don't identify it with that anymore, which is exactly what Pachamama was. Pachamama mm -hmm. meant one thing. And then later they're like, you know, this is Mary, this is Mary. And mm -hmm. then people freaked out about it. Like what's that image above your head to your oh, left? With baby Jesus. Is it? Mm -hmm. Well, I can, it looks this big on camera, but I was yeah. thinking, uh, Guadalupe, the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. I have a really cool one of those out in the living room. It took 200 years for that to go from a Pachamama pagan image to what the church has, to how big it is in the church today, because it was, she was rejected. I didn't know that. People would point at that image and come up with like 400 different things to do with paganism Wow. and all this stuff but how did she appear she didn't come to those people in mexico as a white european right she looked like that, that anywhere that she appears she appears as that ethnicity right right and i've got no problem with that yeah i don't either and, and i remember being in a uh, seminary believe it or not i went to seminary and I sat next to a girl from France. Mm -hmm. She was like sitting here. And we were talking about the movie um, Titanic. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to go see it because everybody was talking about it. But it said nudity on it. Right? And so I was talking to her about the movie. And I said, I would like to go see it. But it's got nudity. So this girl's from France. She gave me the biggest eye you've ever seen. <laughs> was like big deal yeah and i have been to france mm -hmm. i've been to the south of france i've been to the french riviera and it ain't like going to the beach here let me tell you um it's topless yeah for miles and i went there on like the french holiday like our fourth of july it was in the summertime whatever holiday that is and it was just jam-packed elbow to elbow topless yeah and I can imagine uh, her thinking I was a moron, a tightwad for not. Well, I did go see the movie with my wife, I think on Christmas Day or something, some yeah. holiday. And I saw the nude scene. And, you know, we Christians cringe at the nudity, but the French people there, the overseas students, they didn't care nothing about it. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying. The reason I'm bringing that up is because if you were to go to a mass in parts of the world where they don't dress like we do, mm -hmm. you you might get really shocked yeah. at what you see. Now, my, uh, my parish actually has a family. I don't know exactly where they're from, but they definitely immigrated from Africa. 
and actually there's a couple of them. There's one that's a family and I know the matriarch's name because my daughter shares the name with her, but they're like a mom, dad, daughter. And then there's another woman who comes solo and the mom and dad, and then the solo woman come dressed like in a very traditional garb that you would expect to see from where they're from in Africa. And it's always very cool because it's like these head wrappings are these like very detailed um, kind of dress shirt combo things. And then the beads coming off of them and stuff, you know, it's not, you don't see it every day, but it's certainly beautiful. And I love seeing it in the mass. And it's a great uh, reminder too, of just how worldwide the faith is. That, that, okay. The Catholic faith, you got, okay, you got one Pope, mm -hmm. the head pastor of a church with over a billion members. Some say it's almost 2 billion now. They can't keep up with it, okay? You got to say everything, remembering you got about 8,000 different cultures, mm -hmm. countries, language groups. What's a very offensive right here in this country is nothing. It's like the word um, booger. Mm-hmm. Or bloody, mm -hmm. or I'm not going to say the P word, you know, P. Yeah. But when we had family, Christian family over staying with us from England, they dropped that word in mixed company. And I was like, you know, turn red as a tomato. And they said, What's wrong? I said, um, We don't say that here at the dinner table. And they said, P, P. Because it was no, it was nothing there. So every time the Pope says something, I hear he speaks seven languages, but English isn't one that he reads off the teleprompter, whatever. How do you say things in one language? You know, there's a section in Acts, and, and if you don't, if someone don't believe me, I'll look it up. There's a whole half chapter in the book of Acts they can't translate. Yeah. And there's a little footnote that says this is a jacked up translation because there's no <laughs> in English. You get by. So, how can the Pope message better? I don't think it's possible. I is think the only thing you can do is try to constantly chase down those fires. But if he's always coming out and saying, That's not what I meant, this is what I meant, how much time does he have for the actual pastoral care? None. I think just the way that he lives his life, he clearly prioritizes smelling the people and being boots on the ground and not getting too lofty, you know, which is a very, very stark difference, I think, from JP2 as well. Not that I think he was lofty, as much as I think he was very eloquent and very articulate and very traditional. I think he was still a very humble pope. And I think he was very smart and obviously he made theology of the body and that's incredible. But Pope Francis doesn't have a theology of the body. He doesn't have anything like that. He's, it's almost like he's some random Catholic guy who just got plucked out of the pews one day and they're like, you're Pope now. And he was like, how do I Pope now? You know, that's kind of I think that's what happened. Yeah. He got pulled out of the projects, the ghetto, the mm -hmm. slums of Argentina, where he was a street preacher and a mm -hmm. pastor that rode a bus, even as a cardinal, mm -hmm. a man of the people, you know, going to the prisons and boom, he walks out on that balcony and says, it looks like y'all had to go to the other side of the world to find a pope. Yeah. You know, um, I don't know. I, you know, the only reason I ever had 
um, Eric, I know we're early, but we had a time problem. Okay. Desiree's in out west, but not in California where it's two hours behind, one hour. So we had to start early. Sorry, Eric, for displeasing you. But, um, you know, here where I live in Alabama, what's, what do you think of when you hear the place of Alabama, the state of Alabama? What comes to your mind? I think of sweet home Alabama, and I think of I have some family out in Alabama. So just think of that. Well, most people, and I know this from working the airport, taking people from the airport to WTN, mm-hmm. um, they think we're a bunch of hicks, a bunch of hillbillies, Appalachians. Yeah. Uh, they think we're all Forrest Gump, Gomer Powell, um, illiterate, barefoot, overall, yeah. riding on you know tractors and everything, and that we're we're, we're dope. It's like Hillary deplorables. Yeah, everybody votes for Trump. We're all MAGA, uber MAGA uber forward forward right mm-hmm. and it is true this county i'm in right now is the reddest county in america you know what i mean by saying red yeah not redneck but they all i mean it's like 99.999 percent voted trump i voted for him okay but there's things that francis would say that will anger people that trump has and they applaud him for it yeah. Trump holds same-sex marriages at his retreat at Largo, whatever the name of that place. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. And he says we're fighting hard every day for trans rights and same-sex rights. Oh, we're voting Trump. We're voting Trump. <coughs> Trump said go get the... Yeah. You know, he, he invented it. It's it's like, Trump. Like, let's they, go do this. People forget. <laughs> Trump, 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 Trump says he's going to build a wall. There ain't no wall. Yeah. And lock her up. She didn't get locked up, right? But if the Pope says anything against that narrative, all of a sudden he's a flaming liberal. Yeah. A communist, a socialist, and he's gay and he's undermining church teaching. Mm-hmm. But they're going to go line up in a hailstorm and vote for Trump. Yeah. How do you fit that in your, in I your head? I do. And I think that's that could be another piece of the Francis topic, too, is I think a lot of people hold a lot of beliefs that they, they don't even hold them in tension. It's like they just they have this belief over here and they have that belief over there. And then they never bridge the two of them to see if they actually make any sense. I can't do that. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Uh, when I started seeing all the posts and comments about uh, Pope Francis going gay and blessing gay marriages and blah, 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 all this stuff, all the smoke of Satan and all the, all the Taylor Marshall type stuff that's all over the place. I was thinking, this is me and, and people don't like, but are you a convert? Am I a convert? Yeah. No. Okay, I'm a convert. I come out of a Southern Baptist, non-denominational, Presbyterian mix of like 50 years. Okay, and if Jesus said, "That's it." 
I don't care what anyone says. That's it. It supersedes everything. Am I garbled on your end? Nope. Okay. When Jesus looked at Peter, what did he say? In Mark 16, 17 through 19. He said, you're Peter, blah, 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 blah. He said, I give you the keys. He said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound from heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Whatever. Mm -hmm. Here's the keys, old Pete. Right? The keys of heaven and hell, of making laws and ending laws. Mm -hmm. That's what that means. I yeah. give you the right on earth to make laws and change laws. And I don't know if you know this or not. I might be telling you something you already know. But back in those days, the uh, I'm drawing a blank on the name of who the person in charge was. Um, I'm sorry? The prime minister, when the king would leave, give the prime minister the keys. Yeah, how he had the keys literally around his neck. And so they're making that connection that, you know, people reading the Bible when it was written and recorded would totally get that. But people yeah. today, especially without any kind of scripture study, uh, when they're just reading it on their own, they think it's this cute thing. Like, here are the keys. It's like, no, this actually means something more. Yeah. One key went to the prison. The other went to the bank. Mm-hmm. We had access to every money that all money that belonged to the king, to the government, to the state, the kingdom, and the prison. He could let anybody in or throw anybody in. Yeah. He has those keys. Yeah. And if he wants to end the law by his words, he can end the law. And people get caught up. You can't change church teaching. Well, I'll tell you what, go read a Baltimore catechism. Mm -hmm. 1848, then read the one. Today. There's a lot of stuff that ain't in the one today. You know, I'll say one of them limbo. Yeah. It's not a teaching of the church anymore. Yeah. But it was in, in uh Baltimore Catechism 1848, 1858. I used to read it every year. But it's a big deal. Certain mm -hmm. things. Uh, like cremation. You couldn't be cremated. You couldn't own it. The Pope banned cats. The Pope train <laughs> travel. He said it was causing people to be late to mass. He outlawed trains. Mm -hmm. Just like President Bush outlawed broccoli in the White House and Air Force One. He had the authority. He said, I don't want it. I don't want to smell it. I don't want it cooked around my food or around my plate. So it was a uh, executive order no broccoli in the White House. Yeah. And I'm talking for me. I'm not speaking for you or anyone else. I had to ask myself, if the Pope did something radically crazy to me, would I stick with the church or would I slide over to the Orthodox or something like that? And I'm thinking, do I really believe Jesus gave Francis the keys? Do I believe and the conclusion I've come to is that's what I believe. That's my anchor. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't believe like that. People, I mean, I don't think people forget, but I don't know if it, this is one of those thoughts people have fully brought to the forefront of their mind, but we've had wicked popes. They were still popes. You know, they did insane things, but you couldn't just leave and then be like, 
well, my faith was still good. Like, no, it wasn't because you decided that some man was going to shake your faith enough that you left, you know, God will take care of what he needs to take care of. Okay. If people are going to turn against him, he's not just going to like take that on the chin and be like, well, what do I do now? You know, you might not understand how long it takes. You might under, not understand the the methods or the means, but it's going to happen. And even if Francis were a wicked Pope, which I don't think he is, it's going to be all right. The gates of hell will not, pre- will not prevail. There's not going to be any, for lack of a better phrase, like bastardizing the faith. I think a lot of this issue is there are a lot of Catholics who think they're more nuanced than they are. And they forget that there's this whole side, like going kind of going back to who St. Francis of Assisi was. He said, brother sun and sister moon and brother wind and brother fire and stuff like that. Like people hear things like, oh, mother earth. And they kind of think it's like woo woo hippie stuff. But no, that's St. Francis of Assisi who said that. The guy who literally took the seat of Lucifer in heaven when they all fell left their seats empty. Lucifer, the greatest of the angelic creation, his seat is now filled by St. Francis of Assisi, okay? Not Thomas Aquinas, St. Francis of Assisi. And people forget that, that there's this whole aspect and this whole element to these things. And they think like, well, I recycle. So like, I do care about that kind of stuff. And it's like, do you though? Because you seem really, really bothered by the super, super humble Pope who doesn't give in to gossip, who smells the people, who's on the streets, who's doing all of these things that your more favored Pope didn't do, you know? So um, the basic thing is now same sex, which I hate saying that word and irregularly married people, Mm -hmm. which could, you know, I've researched the term. It's broad, Mm -hmm. you know, be, uh, I'm married to a Jewish lady. Didn't get it. Didn't get married by the church. Didn't get married in the church. Okay, then you got gay people. Now, what makes me think these gay people that believe whatever they believe, if it's a affliction or if they're good with being gay, mm-hmm. they've gotten the the idea and the notion that they're not welcome into the church. And Practice the sacraments, right? Okay. Okay. So why in the world would two same-sex guys or girls even approach the altar for a blessing? To me, that tells me something in them is reaching out for God. You know, do you remember when Pope John Paul II got blessed by a Hindu priest? Mm Mm-hmm on a stage in front of the whole world. Some people said he was senile by that time. I don't know. But so what I understand is the blessing is informal. And I've seen the picture of Father James Martin standing in, it looks like a lunchroom, like the church cafeteria with a Christmas wreath on the wall and two guys in black and a white guy holding hands. Mm-hmm. And he's doing the blessing. Well, what he was doing right there is banned in that in that Article 31. Yeah. Just because doing it doesn't explicit. And that is one thing that I will say I don't very much appreciate is, oh, what's his name? 
not Altman, but the other very rad trad who got um Ultra Rad Trad. Yeah, I can't remember his name, but he recently was uh I think stripped of his Strickland stripped of his title. He's been saying can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So he's been coming out and saying things against Pope Francis. And then he recently had some talk meeting, whatever, among people who support him, where he read a letter from somebody who was basically a seed. And he was like, well, the letter says that he's not even really a pope. He's not even really like the licit pope. The seed is empty. And then he was swiftly cut down for that because you can't be in the priesthood in any capacity and be speaking against the Pope and causing that division. And that was a very swift cut down. And I think it was deserved. Right. But yeah. where's the cut down for people like father James Martin doing what he did and saying the stuff that he says, and that he doesn't even do it in private. He posts it online and he refers to these men as Catholic married men, which is yeah. uh, just as oxymoronic as pro-choice Catholic. And he's blessing them as they're holding hands. Like the very clear implication is like, I'm blessing this union that you have. Where is his cut down? Where yeah. is, that's the only thing that I'll say that I, I do kind of side eye the Pope. I'm like, what do you, what, what is this? You know, I don't know if it's that same proclivity of, I'm not going to touch it because it's too gossipy. It's too hot. It's not, too, no, you know, I'll, I'll discuss it. Sure. Then it's worth. But then yeah. again, like these are real souls and these souls are priceless. Okay. So I don't know that I could say that that logic's consistent. So I don't really know that I believe that that's where he's at. Yeah. Uh, have you ever served in the military? No, my husband did. And so I've followed him around for a while. What was he in? Navy. Okay. He's a reservist now. But. Okay. How often did the commandant get involved with things going on in his uh, unit? Never. Who did handle discipline in the unit? The chiefs and some of the lower officers. The chief and ex commanding hmm? officer, chief. Yeah. XO. Okay. The Catholic Church is set up exactly like the Roman army. Yeah. Okay. With well, rank and the government and chain of command. There's a chain of command in the Catholic Church. I'm talking about the clergy and all. Mm -hmm. okay. Same way in the, the New Testament. You had Paul, famous like, I do not allow a to speak in church. Well, Peter did. Yeah. Peter may have let him speak in church. You know, they were both apostles, had their own things going on. And Peter would say, Paul says a lot of things I don't understand that mm -hmm. people twist. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, in the Catholic Church, the Pope is like the Emperor. Mm -hmm. the military, he is the Commander-in-Chief. Mm -hmm. And last I heard, I ain't never heard of Biden or Trump or Bush or Obama mm -hmm. down a lieutenant at Fort Bragg, North right. Carolina. Yeah. It's handled through a process. Right. And I'm with it. And Eric called it. It's Strickland. The P Bishop Strickland is who I was talking about. And I 
agree very, very deeply with the lowest possible level should be handling everything it possibly can. Uh, with the caveat that particularly today, where if Father James Martin was alive, you know, 200 years ago and was doing what he was doing, broadly speaking, he would only be affecting the radius in which he could physically be, you know what I mean? But he's online, he's got this presence, his affect is worldwide. And as the vicar of the worldwide church, I would say there's an argument there that, you know, should he come knocking down, you know, my church's door to come tell my priest, you know, I don't like this thing you said, no. But if my priest had the reach that Father James Martin had or that Bishop Strickland had, then yeah, I would say it makes sense to do something, even if that thing you do is reaching out to whoever is above this priest that or bishop that you want to talk to saying like, you need to handle this and this is how I want you to handle it. You know? Yeah. Okay. Who is uh, is two part question? Who is James Martin's bishop? I don't know. Who is Taylor Marshall's bishop? I don't know. And is their bishops say yay or nay? Whether they can, you know, Taylor Marshall, yeah, can be officially censored by the church, mm -hmm. like they did Michael Voris. Yeah, the church said, "Hey, we ain't with this guy." He's not representing us. They officially said that. Mm -hmm. Has the church done that for Taylor Marshall? No. Why not? I really don't know. I don't familiarize too much with Taylor Marshall. His reputation definitely preceded him. I've watched a few things from him. The, the only thing I think I watched in its entirety was his discussion with Milo Yiannopoulos. And that discussion was very... Uh, licit i guess if you will it was very very catholic in terms of its flavoring but i sort of heard the reputation saw a little bit of it was like yeah this is probably not something i'm going to enjoy so i stayed away but i would say if father james martin is over here then taylor marshall's over here you know um they're just completely opposite sides of sort of the same coin i guess yeah, the but, same coin yeah and that is almost another issue in and of itself is I do kind of wish, maybe I should be careful what I wish for, but I do kind of wish that priests and bishops and things were a little bit more trigger happy with excommunications and like not allowing people to receive communion and stuff like that. I do think it's difficult because so many Catholic churches now are shifting into mega church status where it's almost impossible for the priest to possibly know everyone of his sheep on a first name basis, no matter how hard he tries. Um, and so how are you, if you can't even know them by name, how are you supposed to know what they're doing unless somebody is coming up the chain and saying, hey, this is what's going on. As the priest, you need to take care of that. Then they have to find the time to take care of it and so on and so on. So I'm not trying to say that it's easily solved or easily done, but I do wish, like that's the one thing that you can do to somebody that makes them immediately feel the consequence and it's not the first thing you should be doing with somebody there should be conversations and corrections and blah 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 whatever but when you're publicly denied communion like you already know what's happening and i mean i don't necessarily watch everybody going up for communion but it is literally visibly seen by anybody who is looking so it's a very public like you're wrong and you need to do better and be better and so on and so on and i think that if we relied more on that 
attitude and on that corrective teaching that there might be more positive fruits that come from it. But I think a lot of the reason why it doesn't happen is because of the waves it can produce and the gossip that it can produce, which is a laity problem and people need to not be that way. But I don't know. I think I don't I think it's a good thing that it's it's it exists in place as a corrective measure for a reason. And I, I don't think it's used enough. Let me ask you this. Why do you suppose Jesus allowed Judas to rob him blind all those years? The guy in charge of the bank. Why did he, say that again? Why did Jesus Judas to rob his ministry? For I guess it had to happen, right? Yeah, well, he allowed it. I mean, it's right there in in the scripture. Mm-hmm. They knew he was stealing from the offering plate, the money back. Yeah. And over in Luke, it says that many rich, wealthy women support Jesus financially. Mm-hmm. Not talking about 30 or 40 bucks in a bag. I mean, when you got rich, if I got on here on YouTube and said, I've got several uh, loyal people supporting Catholic for rednecks. You think I'm talking about 25 bucks? I don't think so, no. Uh, you know, why did Jesus put... Why did Jesus what? It cut out. Put up with Judas. Jesus had... Oh, yeah. On his inner staff. Yeah. The bank. Right? And knows it. And he's letting it happen. Why didn't he cut Judas off? Well, again, obviously for salvation history purposes, it had to happen. And then there's, uh, I don't know what this is, Jesus is thinking, but the adage of keep your friends close and your enemies closer, which is something that I think is definitely part of the, whether you like Francis or not, conversation. People will say maybe there's more going on and we don't understand, you know, all the parts that are moving and things that are at play. So maybe there's something else. But I don't know that people really let their opinions be formed by that. Like maybe they they know it's true, so they pay it the lip service. But I think if you really believed that, then, and this isn't blanketedly true, and I'm not talking about any particular person, just blending every conversation I've ever heard together. If you really believe that, then there wouldn't be nearly as much outrage or panic or fury or what have you. It's similar to, uh, I don't know if you listen to very much true crime content, but all the time I'll hear detectives talking about how, you know, we have to withhold this bit of evidence or we can't comment on this right now. And people get mad. They're like, you're not doing anything. And then the detectives are inside, like pulling their hair out. Like, yes, I am. Like this, the Long Island serial killer. They knew who he was for a long time before we did. Yeah. But there were things going on in the background they had to do because you don't want to lose that in court. If you right. lose court, he walks. There's no double jeopardy. Exactly. And I know that Francis does things behind the scenes we have no clue about. Yeah. And he was dealing with those German bishops long before the stories come out, censured and threatened and all that. Yeah. Um, I had a famous priest. I'm not going to drop his name. I can name you a priest that you'll know, right? That told me that Pope Francis don't know half what the heck about James Martin. He doesn't know half of... Half of He just knows him barely in passing. Okay. Okay? It's a bureaucracy. The Curia, the mm-hmm. Vatican, 
that it's not like there's, yes, they had a meeting. Mm -hmm. uh, the Pope has about 40 meetings a day. And he has to meet with each bishop once every five years. Mm -hmm. 5,000 bishops yeah. that he has those conversations with. And, you know, I just, I think that people, and I was a police officer. And I know that if you run your mouth about things going on behind the scenes, you can blow the case. Mm -hmm. I didn't know you listened to true crime. Yeah, I mostly listen to small town dicks. Really? Mm -hmm. Let me bleep that word. Hang on. <laughs> yeah, uh, I got a, I'll text you later, but um, I had a true crime channel. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the Idaho killings. Maybe. I'd have to hear what they are. I never remember the name. Oh, God. You, no, you're so out of the loop. Probably. You knew Long Island Serial Killer. You knew about that guy, right? Yeah. I was up there. got arrested because I got family. And I kept telling them, dude, right here in this freaking neighborhood. Guess what? He was. No. Yeah. Yeah. Been killing people for years. I'd around the corner. I told them the girls, you know, we got cousins and all, walking around shopping and stuff in Long Island. I said the dude is walking right there in the neighborhood. Oh no, he's locked up in prison somewhere. No, no, I'll send you the link. Mm -hmm. But Francis does not. One thing I've learned about him is he'll give you a long, long leash before he snaps it back. Yeah. Kind of like Jesus does me. Because he's given me uh, a long leash. And I've heard Pope Francis is very sneaky. And yeah. cannot. That sometimes he's doing something that looks bad. But he's really three. It's setting something up. Like this thing. For the gay couples. Mm -hmm. How many of them is going to show up at mass. Wanting to get a ceremony. And find out, uh, that ain't what we're doing. Mm -hmm. and, and people say, well, that gives priests, they're going to do it anyhow. They've always done stuff they ain't supposed to do. I yeah. can ask a priest right now, he ain't done a damn thing the church has told him to do in his career, probably. Yeah. It was against the rest. He's popular. Yeah. You know the readings we do? Mm-hmm. He ain't never done a homily based on the readings. Never. That's not right. Yeah. So I just, I got no problems with the blessing. What I got a problem with is the media. Yeah. The media blowing a story out like that. They did not read. No. There's no way. And the word read it. Yeah, that does it. Catholic media will post the clickbaity headlines and things like that. I had to just unfollow one recently because they started up, I don't know, a handful of years ago and I liked what they were about and I liked what they did. So I followed them and, you know, recommended that other people checked them out, but I've watched it turn over a few years where they're just becoming more and more Fox news. Like, I don't know, just very with a Catholic flavor. And they posted something about, you know, oh yeah, he's allowing the, you know, blessings of, same-sex unions or whatever the phrasing was. And I was just like, I have to leave. Like, you're not even kind of trying at this point. You should be better about this. Like, you're just causing more of a stir. What's the purpose in 
going to church to mass and dipping your fingers in the holy water and doing this? What is that for? It's it, well, it cleanses venial uh, sins if you're not <laughs> mortal sin. Is that a blessing? You're blessing yourself, yeah. Okay, so I can bless myself mm -hmm. with that water, right? Yeah. Okay, during communion, if I know I got some unconfessed sin, can I go forward and do this? Yeah. And what happens? You get a blessing. Oh, my. Yeah. You mean some of those people uh, might be in, in serious sin and going forward to get that blessing. Right. Why is that okay? Didn't I have these thoughts and there's no connection. Do what now? I said again, people have these thoughts and there's just no connecting the two. What about the end of the mass, which is what the word mass means? You know, it's a blessing imported. You know, my priest, in the name of the Father, the Son. What is that about? So it sounds like a blessing to me. So we already have all that. Yeah. And so an informal blessing would be me stopping a priest on the street or in the hallway and saying, hey, can you bless my rosary? Yeah. Does the priest say, are you gay? No. Does he say, have you been wanking it? Nope. Oh, you shacked up with your girlfriend? They just, dear Father, you know, pray this rosary that Mother Mary will lead you closer to her son. You know, yeah. that, that's it. But if a gay couple comes and says, we want to be blessed, or says the blessing is not the blessing of the homosexuality as a union, mm -hmm. the blessing to seek God. Yeah. Right? Right. What's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with it. Like, I teach, uh, well, I, I've officially stopped, but I was teaching RCIC2, so, so kids who were going, or I guess it's OCIA, whatever, for kids who received some of the sacraments, but not all of them, so they're behind. And I had a bunch of fourth graders, and I was talking to them about baptism, reconciliation, and communion, how all of these things... Uh, and confirmation, all of these things are like a grace bar. Like when you're playing video games, you have a health bar and, you know, you get hit and your, 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 your health diminishes. And like, it's similar with your grace. You're given this grace with baptism and then you get a little bit more with each successive um, uh, sacrament until, you know, you have this full grace bar. And then every time you sin, it's like your grace takes a hit, you know, it's not really fully gone. The only time it's fully gone is if you completely turn away you know, and even then it's not gone, gone. You can get it back. Uh, it's just, you don't have, you know, you're not walking with the Holy spirit anymore at that point, but every time you, you know, kick your sister in the head because she's annoying or you eat the last cookie, even though your mom said that it was your brother's and then you feel really bad and you bless yourself with holy water, it fills back up. Or if you mortally sin and you go to confession, it fills back up. Like it's the same exact principle. We do these things. We have these sacramentals and so on and so on in order to help keep us sort of like a, a bowling ball with the the rails there like in between the lines so that you don't fall off into the gutter hopefully you could you still could i guess you could rocket that ball down the lane and just fly right over it but hopefully you don't do that hopefully you just bowl the way you're supposed to and then you're fine do you uh what is your i know i realize you're not a priest but i respect all your knowledge and training and all. Mm 
the word of perfect a perfect act of contrition. Mm. I was listening to someone. I think it was a podcast. I'm not sure who it was. I don't listen to people I don't know usually. Mm-hmm. But um, I was going down the highway and it's talking about perfect act of contrition that when you mess up and you truly in your heart repent to God. Mm-hmm. That's the same as going to confession. You're forgiven, but you still, next time you're at confession, you need to make that confession. Mm-hmm. But God forgives you the moment in your heart yep. for that act of contrition. Is that your understanding or do you have a different yeah. view? Yeah, so you you make a perfect act of contrition, but the final like if there's you know five steps to doing it or whatever, the final step is still go to confession as soon as possible and confess it because that's what I've asked you to do. You're still bound by that, but I, I the Lord, recognize that there may be circumstances in which you can't. You know, maybe you're like, what if I get hit by a car? You know, uh, I don't want to die with that on my sin, so let me be perfectly contrite now and I'll get to confession as soon as possible. Or if you're in the circumstance where you know death is coming, like the people who commit suicide, they jump off the bridge and then they are like, I'm so sorry on the way down. That's, that's what it's for. You know what I mean? Like you might not be able to make it, so do it. And then God knows, okay, like you're definitely sorry. And if you get hit by a car on the way to confession, I still know. Right. I think it's kind of like, uh, see, I was, I'm so OCD and, you know, I was in all these Protestant denominations, Chris Tuttle and Dan, um, you know, when you're, you hear every teaching, I mean, you get one past literally a hundred theologies. And I wrestled with, I've never been to confession in my life. I'm 50. Yeah. I was in the Marine Corps. I was a cop. Yeah, I've been married. I've been. I mean, I've sinned all my life, and I started reading my catechism the first month of September of RCI, mm-hmm. cover to cover, and it was gnawing at me. And I called and I said, I "Do my confession," because the catechism says what I'm getting is if I don't confess, this stuff's still on me. Mm-hmm. Oh, I told the Lord I was sorry thirty years ago. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, no, you're good. No, you're good. No, you're good. That's all I heard. No, you're good. Because um, for whatever reason. Then when I finally went to my first, I went ahead, went to my first convi- confession during Advent. Mm-hmm. I walked in there and said, I ain't even Catholic. Well, you don't have to be here. I said, I want to be here. I got I said, can I go ahead and have my confession now? When do you, when there's confirmation Easter, I might it killed tonight. Yeah. I was, oh, damn it. <laughs> I sat in that thing for 30 or 40 minutes, you know, vomiting out everything that I could think of. Yeah. And I, when I walked out of there, that's the first time I ever felt forgiveness, ever felt it. Mm-hmm. I just felt it. Then I told my one of my sponsor guys, he said, I'll because you're not confirmed. So, I, you know, I wrestled with all this stuff. And then I read in the Baltimore Catechism that anything you get about in confession is forgiven. Yep. Am I right? You have confessed it and you just forgot it's forgiven. Well, women, 
struggle with different sins than men. Mm-hmm. I think when it comes to mortal sin, mm-hmm. uh, you know, men are sight oriented and they get, they get to sin and they, they see something on TV or magazine or whatever, and they start having thoughts. Mm-hmm. They entertain the thoughts. And the next thing you know, they've committed adultery in their heart or their mind. So it's a mortal sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, there ain't many guys that can make it two or three days without tripping up like that. Yeah. But women, they say they're not like that, but they sin in other ways. Mm-hmm. They can do some slandering in a heartbeat, you know, conniving and caddy and scheming. And, you know, I don't know how much of it's mortal, but do you go to confession every time you have a sin like that? Like maybe you gossip, slander, lust, or do you have a certain day you go? Both and. I try to go a minimum of once a month. And I try to do, I'm still trying, I keep missing a Friday. I'm trying to do the first Friday's devotion, but I always get two or three and then I miss. So if I go a certain day, it's usually a first Friday. But I'm more of a uh, once a month or as needed. So there are times where I went on the first Friday and then two weeks later, I'm moaning about the way somebody keeps their house. And then I'm like, that is none of your business. (laughs) And even though I probably could get rid of it with holy water, because as soon as I had the thought of like, that's none of your business, I stop. I, I don't know. It feels almost like a gray area between venial and mortal. And I'm like, I'd rather just go. You know, and even when I do go, I still confess the venial sins, even though like they're gone, you know, Mm. as a scrupulous element of myself, I guess. But yeah. Well, I kind of went to a liberal Catholic church Mm -hmm. and the priest, wonderful pastor, wonderful preacher, great guy, but he's kind of on the, uh, that spectrum you were talking about. Mm -hmm. Considered liberal Democrat, maybe. Yeah. I remember things he said in RCI and during his sermons that, like, I didn't know you couldn't go to Eucharist communion with mortal sense because I was under the impression that when I walked in that building and dipped my fingers in that holy water, that I was clean. Mm-hmm. When we did the different things where you, I confess, you know, the muck. Uh, um, that was another cleansing then when we got to the Lord's Prayer forgive us for our sins as we forget that was another one going up up there to get Jesus I'm really clean and then until I worked for EWT and got around some trads this oh you didn't go to confession before you know taking the Eucharist and I felt like well my priest said he went once a year to confession at a retreat that the priests have up in Hansel, Alabama. Once a year! He must be a very holy man. Maybe he is. <laughs> Maybe, but you know, I've gone to confession him before where he just busted out laughing at, at something, and one time I went to see him. I used to go face to face with him. And uh, he asked me something, and I told him the answer and he started laughing and I had some more stuff to unload on him and yeah. he couldn't 
And then he said, you're done. You're done. I said, no, uh, Father, I still got. He said, you're done. Hush. And he gave me that priestly book with the act of contrition. He said, you're free to read this. And, and I read it, and that's the way he was. You know, he'd say, well, why did you tell your wife that? I said, she's going to find out anyhow. Yeah. Rather her, me fess up in front of her than her find out. Anyway, he just thought that was the funniest thing. I mean, he would, he laughed at his stomach stitches. So that's the upbringing I had my first three years as Catholic. Mm-hmm. Then I went to work around all these rad trads. You know, these women that wear veils all everywhere they go, they got on a veil, you know, and they're all in the, on the tongue. And if you receive on the hand, mm-hmm. that's like raping a village of children or something in their eyes. So I have a back and forth with some of that stuff. Yeah. I was raised in a very, very, very liberal evangelical Catholic church. At one point, the pastor at my church literally wore tie-dye stoles, and he had a Grateful Dead parking sign in his uh, parking space. It's just super, super, super hippie. And uh, he said some stuff that at the time I didn't really think about it because it was just right in keeping with everything else that we'd ever heard, you know. But I had, I had, so I, I guess every Catholic is supposed to have like two conversions. You have the initial conversion to Christianity, and then you have a conversion to Catholicism. And I had my initial conversion in seventh grade, and that was when I started really paying attention to mass and participating in mass beyond just singing and. Then I had my second one at 19 and it was, uh, that second one kickstarted my specifically Catholic faith, but also I need to know why, like, that's why I go by the uncatechized Catholic online. Cause I'd sort of realized at that point, I have no idea what I believe or why I believe a lot of this stuff, you know, like I did things that I was like, you know, I know that the church says don't do this, but I don't really understand why. And I I have a need to do it and it makes sense to me. So I'll do it, you know? And then I started, sort of started to self-educate and particularly after I got pregnant and after my, my first daughter was born, I really, really dove into making sure I was reading my Bible every day and, you know, watching Father Mike Schmitz. And I discovered like Pints of Aquinas when that was new. And Uh, it all sort of led me to this space where my education was extremely uneven and I decided I needed to go and get a theology degree to kind of firmly flush out that foundation and get a really good base and learn more and know more and be able to kind of like command more. And it was in that transformation period, I guess, where I looked back on my church of origin and I was like, this is, the cringe to me like I don't like this I don't want to be part of this anymore and so on and so on but my dad still goes to that same parish um I have a sibling who when they go they don't go to the exact same parish but they go to a a parish with a similar reputation you know and I don't super love it but at the same time different people have different needs or different flavors or whatever and it's all still valid and it's all still illicit it's just not really for me um, but the trouble that I think I see sometimes is that at least at the parish that I had growing up, particularly with, uh, some of the first two pastors that were there, um, they could be kind of Catholic light with their teaching and with their flavoring. And now the pastor at that parish is a lot more, um, traditional, I guess, like, 
I was raised, you always take it on the hand. I didn't even know that taking it on the tongue was a thing that people did. I thought it was like a Hollywood, <laughs> you know? Uh, mm-hmm. But I receive on the tongue because I don't want to touch it, you know? And on the times that I do have to touch it, I'm like licking my hand everywhere because I don't want to drop it. But recently my dad was telling me that the pastor there now was saying, uh, was talking about receiving. And he was like, obviously you're allowed to receive on the hand. Reception on the tongue is good for this reason. But, um, you know, when you receive on the hand, there are people who will walk away and they'll go, and he goes, give me a break. (laughs) And I remember my dad telling me that homily that he said that. And uh, (laughs) I don't know. It was just a moment of thinking, like, I don't know if that's ever been discussed with those parishioners. Like, I go back to that church from time to time just to go to mass with my dad. And the same people are still there from when I was a kid. And they are getting the, the same, I don't know, feel, the same music, the same formation, the same style, all of that stuff. And it gets me thinking, you know, like I have to wonder at these parishes just where they are at, I guess. I don't know. This is, it's sort of off topic to everything that we're talking about, but it is one of those things that's always like rolling around in my mind. It's like how many that's people do off topic. that like, you do this, you know? So. I, I tell my, I shoot him texts all the time about stuff he should do, like have some guys outside with rubber hoses. And when people leave, you know, communion line, go straight out the door without waiting, just yep. beat the with rubber hose, just start pounding them. And, and I don't put no smiley face. You know, I'm always saying stuff like that to him. But there is a priest here named Fontaine, mm-hmm. and he will lie. Uh-huh folks up from I mean I, he's the only priest I know in person that teaches the faith mm-hmm. he gets those readings and puts them aside yeah and goes right into straight up teaching and he's even, I mean, he he'll cuss me. he'll say turn them damn phones off right now and get out of my mouth yeah he'll light them up right there and of course he's got a con turnover in his church but you know he te- he teaches you know the i mean you know how people do this and it gets on trad's nerves yeah i did it because everybody did it at I my- did too and i learned about it and i was like oh i don't do that anymore and that's a conversation kind of in keeping with that like how you grow up and what are people learning i had that conversation with my dad where like we went to mass and he tried to hold my hand during the our father and i was like don't touch me <laughs> And so after for it. Yeah. He's like, what is that about? And I told him, I'm like, we're not supposed to do that. Like it's a combination of people copying the priest because they don't know any better and like bleeding over from Protestant type actions. And so we don't do that. And he was kind of ruffled about it. And he looked it up and he was like, Well, you know, this article says that we can do it because it's not hurting anybody, so I'm gonna keep doing it. Okay, (laughs) you do that. You know, Timothy says lift up holy hands in prayer. Say what? To lift up holy hands in prayer. Who says to do that? Paul told Timothy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, lift up holy hands in prayer. And there's other rites in the Catholic Church. They have some wild stuff. You yeah. ever been to Elkite? Mm-mm. Yeah, they don't, they don't kneel at consecration. They, think they stand that. the whole time? Is that, mm-hmm. that Is that the one that just stands the whole time? They stand everything but the homily. Yeah. They, you know, they... They do a twist bow, and like when the procession comes by with the cross, the whole congregation does a, 
I just come, they do the cross the other way. Um, Eric wants to know, Eric wants to know when you were confirmed, how old were you? So I was in my youth when they switched it, at least in my diocese. And originally you got communion in third grade and then confirmation uh, your junior year. I had received communion in third grade. And then when I was in seventh grade, they switched it. And so I received it at, towards the end of seventh grade was my confirmation. What do you think is the right age for it? I guess traditionally it is supposed to be done much early on, but I don't, earlier on, I don't know that I have a firm take on it. When I was not very well catechized, I was taught that confirmation was you are confirming your faith. Like, this is what I believe. This is what I was going to practice. And so I remember when it got shifted back thinking that's silly because we're children, you know, how are we supposed to confirm that this is what we're going to do with our whole life? I know that there are plenty of very young saints who, you know, were basically sainted when they died at 12 because that's how holy they were, but that's not the majority of people. And so I didn't agree with it at first, but the older I got, the more I feel like it made more sense and was more in keeping with like the historicity of the church and uh, the way things go. And I think that if you justify infant baptism, it's really easy to justify at least a youthful confirmation. So I'm not super hard on like it has to happen at this age or at this time, but I'm good with it being done when you're young. How old is your youngest now? My baby boy just turned one. Okay, what about the next next one? I don't. I'm not pregnant. Oh, you mean the next oldest one? Uh, she's three. She just turned three. My granddaughter's been taking communion. Uh, since she's walking mm -hmm. at the Mel when we go to the Melkite Church, mm -hmm. they give the kids, the toddlers, and all body yeah. of Christ right in their little mouth. Do that when they're um, baptized too? Like they take a tiny bit and put it in the infant's mouth? Is it that branch that does that? They, they dunk the baby underwater three times because the baby has a gag reflex. They're not going to choke. And they yeah. But, um, you know, if you read canon law, mm -hmm. you cannot be denied communion if you believe it's if you believe in, they can't technically deny you. Mm -hmm. You don't even have Catholic if you believe in what you're doing, and that's in canon law. You can yeah. look at um, people want to put a literal body. You can take it. You don't have to be Roman Catholic or whatever. Right. And people don't. People. I mean, I know we have a closed communion, and I believe in a closed communion. Mm -hmm. But I can also see where, um, like my son, my oldest son, before he was confirmed, um, he went by one day and took communion and told me about it. Mm -hmm. He said, I had to. He said, I felt moved to. Mm -hmm. He did become confirmed and all. And then my nephew, he came to his first mass. And I'm not going to lecture anyone and tell him, I'm not doing that. You know, um, when I went to my first first mass or two, I didn't go forward because I didn't know what the hell to do. Yeah. What, what is all this? You know, I was looking at people and I I didn't know what was going on and kneeling uh -huh. and this or this. I didn't know. So I sat, sat down. I believe it was 
But my nephew walked his ass right up there out of a, you know, he's full-blooded Baptist. He just walked right up there and took it, you know, and I wasn't going to lecture him. See, that's, that was something that the uh, hippie priest that I had was all about. He was like, I'm not going to be concerned with whether or not you're in a state of grace. I'm not going to be concerned with whether or not you've received communion. Da, 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 da. At the time, I remember thinking that's kind of weird, but he's the priest. Like, what do I know? Uh, and as I've gotten older, I push back on that a bit. I agree insofar as I don't know what state of grace somebody is in just because I watched somebody sin doesn't mean that I know that they didn't go to confession or something. And even if I did mind your own darn business, you know? Um, but I don't agree with the concept of, you know, you can just like, like people who are, uh, married, divorced and remarried, but they didn't bother to go through the proper channels. Like, I don't believe that you should be going up there because they're churches. Yeah. So long as you're still in that state, especially if you're doing nothing to correct it. I was in that space, okay? And I went up and I received because I didn't know any better. But then as soon as I knew better, I went, oh, my whole life might have to radically change. You might have to start living as brother and sister. You might have to start doing all of these things. But I took that action. And when I went to my priest about it, I said, what do we do about communion and how we're living our lives and all of that stuff? And he said, well, you're taking the actions necessary to correct the issue so you can keep living your life the way that you're supposed to. If you stop taking those actions, then you have to stop living your life this way. But yeah. until then you're good. And it's like, eh, some people would have said, no, absolutely not. You guys should have been living as brother and sister and you should not have been receiving communion until you were convalidated and la 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 la. But we had that talk with that priest who wasn't a super liberal priest either. And so we had that space. So I'm hands off in the sense of like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why you're receiving, you know, if we're close enough, I might ask and be like, wait, what's going on? You know, like, I see this is happening. Did you ever connect the two? Like, do you know that this is a thing? My, My family. But other, like, I'm not just going to uh, say that to anyone, you know? Uh-huh. We do. <laughs> we dog each other. If one of them don't get up. Yeah. You know? Oh, it's, we go, we'll back on our way up and you've been a big boy <laughs> or, or like one time you know me and my wife go to confession connie will go in ahead of me and i'll turn to the person next to me and say see if you can hear what she's saying with a straight face and it always gets a laugh yeah oh you know so in my family now see one one priest that you would know his name told me to go to communion regardless if your family's around or you'll create scandal. So just go ahead and go. Then the other priest, same outfit. What the hell did you go forward for? You ain't been to bed in a week. Do I? Sorry. My husband just came home and my phone had Bluetooth connected to the van. Let me get, close this door to the room that I'm in so that they don't start talking right away. I have to get up all the time, Eric. Um, Eric Gaspit is a prop that believes free. Food. Hey, let me ask you a quick question, real, real quick. Okay, Catholics believe that if you commit mortal sin, mm -hmm. you know the three elements. Mm -hmm. Mortal sin are you have to commit the sin knowingly. You have to um, do it intentionally. And have to do it 
what's this? Oh, drum roll. <laughs> oh, yeah. So yeah, you have to commit the sin knowing that it's a sin. You have to commit it intentionally like, hey, I know this is wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. And you have to do it knowing the full consequences of what you're doing. Okay. Um, one priest told me, I don't like mentioning their names because the most of the priests, well, I worked at the network. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of them. One priest told me in order for me mortal, truly mortal, it was something that you did that you thought like premeditated murder. Like yeah. you set out, I'm going to buy this porn oh, tape. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go buy this porn tape and watch it. You know, mm-hmm. instead of walking into, you know, the frat house and it's on TV and you go, you know, you start. Right. Marine Corps, they used to play it up on the jumbotrons, you know, for hours and hours, you know. You couldn't help but see and hear it. And if it affected you, how could that be more than when you're not participating, you don't want it, you're trying not to look, you know, but it's right there in front of you. And I think that um, I was in a debate with some friends, they were saying that uh, mortal sins that are hampered by defect mm-hmm. and habit. Yeah. What's that about? Hampered just- by defect and habit. So, um, like, the difference between, like, okay, I have no inclination to, I don't know, have casual sex outside of my marriage, I guess. But if you are somebody who grew up in a culture or a family or a friends group or whatever where that was the norm and so you got into that habit and that was what you did then you had the come to jesus moment of like oh i can't do this anymore uh the next time you find yourself in that near occasion of sin because you've forced that habit or created that space where like now i know what this is like i mean it's you can sort of liken it to drug use right like i've never used heroin and i'm not inclined to use heroin but there are people out there who are like, maybe I'll try that sometime. They do. And then they're like, that's never for me ever again. That ruined my life for a minute. And then the next time they're offered heroin, they're like, oh, but it was so nice. Whereas I don't have that. I don't have that on me. You know what I mean? So by your habit and your defect of having used heroin or having historically been very casual with sex, it can sort of like weaken that resolve in a sense that's not necessarily your will, but your conditioning has kind of altered you in a way that you wouldn't have if you didn't have that exposure or that defect. What if you're pressured into committing a mortal sin? If you're pressured, mm-hmm. then you're missing that free will component. So it's not a mortal sin. So like a teenage girl being pressured into sex. Yeah, so she wouldn't be mortally sinning. I mean... There, you can make the argument of, you know, how did she get into that position? Like, teenage boys are gross, so they might be, like, pressuring you in the hallway, in which case it's, like, go away. Or you could get alone with a boy who had previously pressured you in the hallway, and you really know you shouldn't be alone with him, but you are. And you know you probably should have not gotten to the spot. You know you should probably get up and leave, but you don't want to. And then all of a sudden he starts pressuring you. You know, you can make the argument like that goes back to the culpability versus responsibility element of uh, um, life and sin that we were talking about before we got on the show. Um, 
the things that you do, like that's why near occasion of sin matters, right? The things that you do, the things that you say, the positions that you put yourself in can make you culpable for the things that you do and culpable for the things that happen to you, even if you're not directly responsible, right? Like if you go out and you um, get super drunk and you don't have a friend who's looking out for you or um, a group who's going to take care of you, you haven't made sure that you had a ride home, you didn't, you know, there are all these stops that you could have hit. You could have not gotten totally plastered. You could have made sure that you had somebody watching out for you. You could have made sure you had a ride home. You could have done all these things. And then when something bad happens to you as a consequence of those actions that you're like, well, I never anticipated that. I never planned for that, whatever that is. Like, okay, you may not be responsible for that, but you could have prevented it at any particular point by making any different choice here. And so it's that element of culpability and responsibility. What do you, um, see what I was going, you brought something up. Um, could it be, could something be a mortal sin for me, but not for you? Yes. <laughs> so if, um, if you have, or if I have, um, that inclination, I guess, toward, um, casual sex, right? If I have some kind of like mental instability, like say I'm bipolar, right? And I had that previous inclination toward casual sex and then I go manic and then I go off and have a ton of casual sex and then I come back down. I did have a ton of casual sex, but I did not mortally sin when I did that because I was out of my mind. Whereas if you went out one day and you're like, yeah, I'm going to do that just because sex is cool. I like it. Great. Well, then you cheated on Connie and you've also, you know, self-abused and you used all these other people for their bodies. Like you did a whole bunch of stuff that was really, really wrong that even though I did all those exact same things, I wasn't in the same consent, free will capacity headspace that you could have been in doing the exact same thing. So headspace counts. Yes. It can be a factor of where, you know, use, use two people. You know, if you commit suicide, you go straight to hell. Catechism says there's a lot more to it than that. Exactly. So Ill, no, you know, happy people do not kill themselves. Yeah. And people who are well in the head don't take those actions either. Even That's if they're what I mean. fairly I mean, happy. Hey, I think I'll go hang myself right. Hang on. I'm going to go hang myself. Right back. Yeah. But people that do that get to that point where... I mean, people don't go to hell for having cancer. Yeah. But people are judged on other things by our society. Yeah. Um, back to the same-sex thing real quick. Why is it wrong? Why is the same-sex attraction wrong? Uh, well, bodies are made for complementarity. So on just the physical level alone, no religion, no nothing aside, you don't have that other halfness to it. So logically speaking, it doesn't make any sense. And then the what sex is-ness, like what it's for and what it does is it's for um, bonding and procreation. And naturally, if both of those things can't be occurring when bodies are well, then you're uh, that's just not what it's for. You know, like it's, it's misusing for the same reason that masturbation is wrong. Like, that's not what these parts are for. So you are misusing them. 
Um, so from a logical standpoint of what goes together, goes together and what doesn't, doesn't. And then from a, um, intended use standpoint, uh, the way that you're supposed to use things matters. And if you're not using them the way that they're supposed to be used, then you are misusing them by default. And then there's just the whole theology of the body component to sex and uniting with somebody and actually seeing somebody as opposed to looking at them and things like that. So to sum everything up, you wish um, maybe Pope Francis cracked the whip quicker on certain priests that are out of line. That would make you feel better. Like, oh, James Martin, I, like Francis is going through his cell phone looking at Instagram on the toilet, the, the papal toilet. I don't know if I'd say uh, I wish that. <laughs> like, I think fired. It, but I do think it would resolve a lot of the animosity that people have toward him if it didn't seem like there was a bias or a favoritism or a slant or anything. And you've read the I've read what? The document everybody shouting at. You read the document. I haven't finished it. I haven't finished it. But I have thirty one, Article thirty one. I didn't read that far, no. Yeah, that's where the uh, meat and potatoes of it. It's very exact language. I mean, if you walk into a court of law with a valid contract, you're not going to win your case. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's Just read it. Read Article 31 of that document. If you don't have it, I'll send it to you. But my dog's howling. There's no. my wife in there, and she can't get to her. All right. I got to run. All right. It was good talking to you. Okay, uh, we'll do this again sometime, and I'll have it on the podcast tomorrow. All right. Okay, all righty. I got to remember how to turn this off, so I look okay. all goofy. Okay, I'll, I'll talk to you later. Thanks. Bye.